Hey there, architecture enthusiast. Nikita Reed here, inviting you on an incredible journey through time and space with my podcast, Tangible Remnants. Historic preservation and sustainability? Let's go ahead right now and debunk the myth that they are opposites. In fact, they are two sides of the same coin, shaping our collective future. In a work environment, it has been challenging because I've had to probably do more than double just to make sure that I quote unquote fit in. But the environments that have allowed me to do me on the front end, I've been extremely successful. You look at all these PhDs, they've built that on the backs of our elders. Absolutely. What they consider themselves to be experts at is what they've worked with us to achieve. I know we have to. We have to prioritize people before products and before place. Join me as we unravel the stories of historic buildings shaped by the people of a specific era and often influenced by race and gender. These tangible remnants are windows into our past and guideposts for the future. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe now to Tangible Remnants. Let's explore the interconnectedness of architecture, preservation, sustainability, race, and gender. I feel like whenever you say governess, you have to say it with an accent. (laughs) (laughs) It just feels right. It's a requirement. Yeah. Hi, everyone. You're listening to She Builds Podcast, where we share stories about women in the design and construction field, one lady at a time. This season's theme is tools and inventions. We will be talking about ladies that invented something or were involved in the development of a tool used in our field. Today, we are going to learn about Hertha Ayrton, inventor of the line divider, a drafting tool used by architects, engineers, and artists. I'm Nergiri Rivas, binging the show The Offer, thanks to my mom in Houston, Texas. Hi, I'm Jessica Rogers, and I'm binging Sweet Magnolias from Miami, Florida. <laughs> That's cute. That's a cute one, yeah. I'm Lizzie Rar, binging Down for Love in San Francisco. As always, we are not experts. We are just sharing stories about the information that we find as friends having a fun conversation. If you find an error, send us an email and we will all continue learning together. Yeah. All right, let's dive in. The time April 28, 1854. The place, Port Hampshire, England. Phoebe Sarah Marks was born. Hmm? Okay, but who this? I thought we were talking about Hertha. Yeah, what's up with that? Yeah, she changed her name later in life. She actually never went by Phoebe when she was a little younger. She liked being called Sarah. So we're going to call her that for now, just to make it confusing later. Wow. (laughs) Okay. Multiple personalities and aliases. Are we sure she isn't a spy? (laughs) Yeah. Perhaps. Also, okay, to be clear, we're still talking about one person, right? Yes, yes. It's one lady. Okay. With multiple names. (laughs) Sarah was child number three of seven and counting. Her dad was Levi Marks, a watchmaker who immigrated from Poland, and her mom was Alice, Teresa Moss, a seamstress from Portsea. 
Sadly, her dad passed away when Sarah was seven years old and left behind his wife with seven kids and one more bacon in the oven. Mm. And he left them penniless. <gasps> mm. Times were bad. Oh, my gosh. That is so sad. I can't imagine being widowed with eight children. Yeah. Wow. That sounds awful. Yeah. At the young age of seven, Sarah was by no means ready for this, but being number three of eight now, she was technically one of the oldest, right? So she took on some of the responsibility for taking care of her younger siblings while her mom went back to work as a seamstress. Yeah, I mean, you'd have to, even if you're only seven years old. Mama's got to go get that money. Yeah. I also feel like if you have like more than, I don't know, five kids, they kind of start to like look after each other. So I get it. Yep. Especially under those circumstances, it seems like it has to be like an all hands on deck situation. For sure. Yeah. This feels like an emergency. Yeah. Two years later, Sarah's aunt, Aunt Marion, talked to her mom. She saw great potential in Sarah. She was smart. And Aunt Marion ran a school with her husband in Northwest London. So she offered to take Sarah with her so that she could get to go to school. It wasn't close. So it meant that Sarah was going to live with her aunt and her cousins permanently. Oh, I mean, that sounds like a great opportunity for her. Right. And like maybe for her mom, it would be good to have one less kid around. However, I'm sure it was hard for her to leave behind her mom and brothers and hard for her mom to say goodbye to one of her kids. I don't know. I mean, I have mixed feelings about it, but I can't wait to see what Sarah gets up to in London. Well, like you said, one can only hope that this means that Sarah or Phoebe or Hertha, this person will go off to do great things. (laughs) Yeah, it was hard. But Sarah's mom wanted her daughter to have opportunities. So... Off she went to London to live with her cousins. Thankfully, Sarah enjoyed school and her cousins. They introduced Sarah to science and math, and Sarah was super into it. Her teacher said that she had a fiery, crude personality. That to me, it means that she was smart and assertive. All good things. (laughs) Yes. Sarah sounds sassy, and I'm into it. Well, if she was one of eight, she had to stand out from her family somehow. True. A good point. By the time Sarah was 16, she was living independently, working as a governess and making connections. She became friends with Otili Blind, who nicknamed Sarah Hertha after a poem by Algernon Charles Swinburne of the same name. So it turns out that Hertha was agnostic and that poem was a critique on religion. It's a long poem. If anyone is curious, you can check out our show notes for a link to it. But all that to say that from now on, Hertha has arrived and that's what we'll call her. Oh, this is very interesting origins on that name. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I was curious to see how we were going to go from Sarah to Hertha because that's like a big leap. (laughs) Yes, I agree. On a first thought, it was. It was hard to make that connection like... Yeah, from Sarah to Hertha. But um, this backstory is really cool. Yeah. Otiel was not only in her life to give her new names. She also introduced Hertha to Barbara Bodicon. 
Barbara Bodicon was an educator and an artist who was also a big leader in the women's rights movement. She was a co-founder of Girton College at Cambridge. Ooh, yes. Okay, cool. So the Girton College was the first women's college in Cambridge. By 1948, this college would be granted full university status. Barbara became Hertha's biggest advocate and mentor through the rest of her life. Hertha couldn't afford to go to college. So Barbara, along with other super ladies like suffragette Helen Taylor, Sophia Goldsmith, and the writer George Eliot, paid for Hertha to go to Girton College. Oh, those are some good friends. I love that her besties paid for her schooling. Also, George Eliot, casual friend name drop. (laughs) Yes, I love this. One thing to point out earlier is that this is Barbara's jam, okay? That's why they started the college. They believed in education for women. And yeah, George Eliot, oh, you know, just one of the important writers in the Victorian era. Her board name is Marianne Evans, and she would write seven novels. Virginia Woolf, yeah, that Virginia Woolf, would say that Eliot's Middlemarch novel was, quote, was one of the few English novels written for grown-up people. So, talk about street cred. They got it. My mom wanted me to read Adam Bede when I was a teenager, but I never did. I should put it on my list. Have either of you read anything by George Eliot? I actually haven't. No, yeah, I actually have never heard of her until now. So, oh. um, I really wasn't, yeah, I really wasn't into the Victorian or English writing back then. But I will say <laughs> I am curious to know what English novels for grown-ups mean. That's true. That's a curious description. Right? While at college, Hertha was killing it all over the place. She was personally tutored by the physicist Richard Glazebrook. She built a fifth. Mo manometer, which is blood pressure meter. She was the leader of the chorus also. She founded the Girton Fire Brigade and she started a math club. Whoa, she's doing a lot. Also, Sphygmo manometer is just a silly sounding name. I'm glad we don't have to call it that. Yep. Like, <laughs> yes. Thank goodness. It sounds made up to me like a Dr. Seuss word or something. Right? <laughs> It's a hard word to say. I think people would have died while the nurse was asking someone to pass her that. (laughs) Yes. It also raises my blood pressure just trying to struggle. Through it. Just struggling trying to say the word. But whatever. Also, the homegirl was busy. She was doing a lot. Yeah. I'm not entirely clear how this worked out. But even though Girton College was affiliated with Cambridge University, it was not part of the university because... (sighs) Cambridge did not allow women to attend. Surprise, Mm. surprise. So in 1880, when Hertha passed the mathematical tripus, which was a big deal, it was like this intense test that sometimes people died of exhaustion from taking it, of all the questions they had to answer. But she didn't die. She passed. And still, Cambridge was like, sorry, but you're a woman, so you're not gonna get a degree from us Mm. hertha said okay whatever and passed another test and the university of london gave her a bachelor of science degree in 1881 okay died of exhaustion what kind of test is this it sounds like hazing to me 
Sounds like extreme test anxiety to me. Yeah, no kidding. Okay, but also, how rude of Cambridge. I know this isn't the first time we've talked about this this season, but it's just silly. Like, when people graduate from Girton College, did none of them get official degrees? Okay, so technically, no. Well, they didn't get, like, a bachelor's degree. They would get, like, an honors degree or, like, a certificate. So who knows how good that was. Right. And this is what I was reading up about this college. Or, well, women's colleges in general. Okay. Because it's it's a thing. Women's college was different from finishing school where they taught women. Because sometimes that was a thing. They would go to finishing school. But that's different from women's colleges because finishing schools, they were taught like social duties and etiquette. Yeah. Women's colleges were more academic. And they most likely didn't offer many degrees because that was left at the university level. And this was basically like the first step for women to get an education, even though institutions didn't accept women. So Barbara, who we mentioned earlier, her and her crew, they fought really hard to change this. And believe it or not, it was hard just to allow Hertha to take that tripos exam. Like they wouldn't allow people to just sit in those exams. So for her to take it and pass the exam that people passed out on, uh, died of exhaustion, this was a huge feat in itself. So even if it didn't bring the exact results that she wanted, she still accomplished a lot by doing it and passing it. Yes, exactly. The fact that Hertha was even able to take the test was a big deal, just like you just said. After she was back in London with her shiny new degree, she was running a club for working girls, taking care of one of her sisters, teaching embroidery. She was also working as a teacher in the Notting Hill and Ealing High School system. And she was publishing mathematical problems and solutions in the magazine Educational Times. Again, she's out here doing all the things. She really is nonstop. I wonder how much I could accomplish and do if there wasn't, like, the internet or streaming devices (laughs) or cell phones. Because, like, Chica got the time and she is filling it up with all of the things. Indeed. Three years later, encouraged and financially supported by her friend Barbara, she got her very first patent for the line divider, a.k.a. the draftsman's dividing instrument. It was filed on May 3rd, 1884 and granted on January 6, 1885. This is the reason we're talking about her today. The line divider is an engineering drawing tool used to divide a line into any number of equal parts and also to enlarge or reduce figures. Basically, it's a scaling tool. Check out our show notes. There's a YouTube video of someone explaining how the tool works and it's pretty neat. Wow, that is really cool and so important for the AEC industry. This is a PSA to everyone. Make sure your drawings are all to scale, people. Please. Please. (laughs) Also, shut at first, Nergity, I thought you were describing, like, the May line, you know, the thing used to draw straight lines, similar to, like, a T-square. But this tool is just as cool that, okay, I don't think in today, like, when we draft... If we draft by hand, I don't think we really use this tool. But looking at it, when I say icon, this is an icon, like a physical icon. This is the tool that, which 
is used as a symbolic icon for architects and the AEC industry. Like I've seen it in like organizations in their little icon of like their logos, their logos. It's this. It's this machine tool thing. (laughs) Isn't that cool? It's an icon. Yeah, yeah. The line divider was featured at the exhibition of women's industries, and it got a lot of attention. People were really all about it, and it became a popular tool. That's right, it did. It was a game changer, I'm sure. Oh, yes. I can totally see that happening. I'm telling you, it's an icon. <laughs> Let me read you a few quotes about what the scientific community was writing about this new invention. A Nature Review stated that it was, and I quote, a very handy instrument for architects, engineers, and practical drawing. And the Paris Periodical Review Scientifique wrote, It has often been asserted that women are only capable of assimilation and not of invention. The apparatus we have just described is a mathematical proof to the contrary. Okay, backhanded compliment if we ever heard one. Jeez, WTF? Spoiler alert, this was just the first of many patents for Hertha. From 1884 until the time she passed away, she registered 26 patents, five on mathematical dividers, 13 on arc lamps and electrodes, and the rest on the propulsion of air. I'll get to a few of those in a little bit. Hey, designers and curious minds. Ever wondered about the stories hiding within your building's walls? I'm Carrie Seaburn, structural engineer and host of Unstruct, the podcast that decodes and simplifies major concepts of structural design. Behind the math and physics, structural engineering simply predicts building behavior. Join me as we simplify the complex, making structural design accessible to everyone. Nowadays, instead of measuring it via cost, we're saying, well, what about carbon, you know? We've got two levers now that we can, if if an architect has an inefficient design, we can hit them with two levers if you like. The official casualty figure is 55,000. Everybody I talked to told me that the actual figure is at least three times as much. And I believe that. I mean, seeing what I saw, Turkish codes are good and, and they have been improving, but compliance was completely lacking. Fluent in steel, concrete, masonry, and timber design, I'll bring you leading engineers to dissect the tales behind their building structure. Whether you're an architect, contractor, engineer, or just love a good story, this podcast is for you. Yeah, beam penetrations. That's a fun topic on this project. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Unstruct. From within your walls, hear the story behind how your building stands today. This lady was inventing all over the place. Yeah, you proved them wrong, Hertha. Invention and innovation error. That's right. After the success of her first patent, she started taking evening classes on electricity at the Finsbury Technical College with Professor William Edward Ayrton, a pioneer in electrical engineering and fellow of the Royal Society. He was also an eligible single widower. 
Bro, hey. <laughs> he was teaching her about electricity and she was feeling a connection. Oh. I mean, you had to do it. It was right there. <laughs> there was definitely a spark, I'm assuming. That's right. Okay, well. Oh, yeah. And uh, this eligible single widower, although... He is a widower, so I would already assume that he was single and eligible. But, Nudgity, I'm picking up. If he's a widower, he's eligible. Well, he could be dating someone else. Eligible means, like, worth it. Doesn't it say, like, eligible and single are both about the same? No, but somebody could be not eligible and single. Like, <laughs> but eligible bachelor. Eligible just means, like, he's a catch. Um, you know what I mean? Either way, we're picking up what you're putting down. <laughs> it's a cutie that's teaching our girl a few things. Or at least she thought he was. Yes. I haven't seen him. I can't corroborate. <laughs> but it's still cute. It's a cute story. You're right. After, this is very important. After she was no longer his student, they got married on May 6, 1885. He had a child from his former marriage. And then he had a girl with Hertha who they named Barbara after her friend. Oh. They nicknamed their little girl Barbie. And later on, she became a member of the parliament for the Labor Party. Congrats to Hertha and William. Yeah, that's really cute. Also, go Barbie. It reminds me of like the toy Barbie, like a boss. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen that movie yet. It's real cute. Oh, you have it? Oh, I've seen it twice. No. <laughs> I think you might like it, Nunjiri. I like anything Ryan Gosling, except the house in the pines or some crap like that. Honestly, he's the star of the show. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta watch it just for him. Hilarious. I will. I think you'd really like it, though, besides Ryan Gosling part. <laughs> yeah, but he he makes it. Like, he is... I mean, yeah. He's doing the work. <laughs> well, back to... The Ayrtons. The Ayrtons became a little engineering power couple. William was very supportive of Hertha's experiments and career. Love it. They collaborated on investigations, but also led independent research. Okay, ladies, listen to this mess. In 1893, William was doing research on the electric arc, which is a discharge of electric current across a gap in a circuit and this produces light. This was starting to be used a lot in public lighting. But the problem was that they weren't very efficient. They flickered and got extremely hot. And people were like, oh, well, it is what it is. I hate when people do that. But William was like, nah, there has to be a solution, obviously. So he wrote a paper about his initial research and he left the only copy of this with his publisher while he traveled to Chicago. But in a major whoops, his paper was mistakenly used as kindling for a fire. <clears throat> when William found out what happened, he was so pissed and he didn't feel like writing the paper again. So he basically was like, well, I give up. <laughs> it's not meant to be. Hertha, mm -mm. on the other hand, had been helping him with the experiments. So she wrote the paper again. And actually, she kept going and took the research even further. 
So William decided to step aside entirely because he did not want people to give him credit for his wife's work. Wait, what? What? <laughs> oh my, okay. But did whoever use his paper as kindling get fired? Like, yeah. also that, it was right there. Yeah, yeah, I got it. I got it. (laughs) The puns this season are out of control. (laughs) They really are. Yeah. I just got to say, it's hard to believe that this was a mistake, right? It feels very deliberate. It really Mm. does. Like, how do you mistakenly, like, don't you have a different pile of paper for kindling that might not be important documents? Okay. Or read it before burning it? I don't know. It feels like sabotage. Like the community that was doing the arcs Mm -hmm. that was inefficient so you had to keep buying new ones didn't want a better one coming out. That's what what I think. (laughs) (laughs) Even though that probably makes zero sense with reality, but (laughs) maybe you never know. Maybe. But that's kind of awesome that Hertha was like, I'm going to rewrite this because I remember enough of it. And I love that he let her have all the credit. William is a stand up guy. He is. Yes. A catch. But I don't know. It also seems like he kind of gave up on it, too. But I, what's great is that Hertha was the one to persevere, you know. And yeah, like you said, at least he acknowledged her enough for her to shine as well. So cute. It's cute. A decade into her marriage, she wrote a bunch of articles for the electrician explaining why the electric arcs acted the way they did. It was because of the oxygen touching the carbon rods used to make the arc. Four years later, she became the first woman to read her own paper to the Institution of Electrical Engineers, IEE. The title of the paper was The Hissing of the Electric Arc. And after that, she was invited to be the first woman member of the IEE. It would be more than 60 years before another woman was elected into the society. Mm. That's so great. But also really sad that it would be another 60 years before another woman was in the society. But I'm really proud of her for paving the way. Yes. Also, I just like that Hertha had a nice sounding title for this paper because (laughs) some of the ladies didn't have the most catchiest of titles for their literary works. Okay, so these hers was at least like under 10 words. Hissing is catchy. No, but it's at least like the hissing of the electric Concise. Others have like, yeah, Yeah. concise. That's what I mean. It it was concise because some of these, like you read the title and it's like, that's the paper. It's huge. Long. Hertha was becoming a little celebrity in the world of electrical engineering. Her work was getting recognized across the globe. She led the physical science section at the 1899 International Congress of Women in London. And she spoke at the International Electrical Congress in Paris later that year. This resulted in the British Association for the Advancement of Science to allow women to serve on general and sectional committees. Because they started to see what great contributions women were able to share if given the chance. Thanks to the work of women in science, especially Hertha. Yeah. What a trailblazer. Hey, hey, hey. Hertha was getting a lot of good press everywhere. But she wanted to be a part of one of the highest scientific communities in England. Is that too much to ask? No. Apparently it was. Mm. She wanted to read her paper to the Royal Society, 
the same one her husband was a fellow at. But they said, no girls allowed. So her friend and renowned electrical engineer, John Perry, read her paper in 1901. He also proposed that she should be admitted as a fellow to the society. But they said no, because married women could not be eligible, as if single women were. Like, whatever. I don't get it. Say what? Yeah, if she was single, they would have let her in. That sounds like they're just pulling something out of their butts. I'm really sad that she didn't get to read her own paper. But glad at least the people heard it, even if it wasn't her. But... I just, I can't even. Yeah, but that's still terrible. That's horrible. It really is. These losers, I'm just going to call it like I see it, (laughs) Mm -hmm. could not silence her for long. Her work had become so important, they finally allowed her to read a paper to them in 1904. She became the first woman to read her paper to the Royal Society. Even though they refused to admit her, they couldn't deny her contributions to the profession and they gave her the Hughes Medal in 1906 in honor of her research on the electric arc and on the motion of ripples in sand and water. Yeah! Okay, so they gave her an award but didn't allow her to join their little club? Well, Got it. yeah. Also, this whole reading in front of a group thing reminds me of Handsmaid's Tale. Like, I hope she got to keep a fingers. I think it's a thing in the scientific community to read your paper or your research before a committee just for the recognition. Yeah. Any author does that. Like at bookstores, they would read their an excerpt from their their novels or whatever. But yeah, yeah. so. Oh, well. She was the fifth recipient of the award, which I thought was pretty cool that she was one of the early winners. And of course, she was the first woman to receive the prize. And another woman would not win until 2008. 2008? Wow. That's over a hundred years. Ooh, mm-hmm. I've had a lot of emotions. I'm so excited for her to be one of the first winners, but also sad that it took so long for another woman to win. Right. I'm conflicted. Yeah, like... I don't know what surprises me more, the fact that she was the fifth person to win the award or that the, another woman wouldn't win it until 100 years later or over 100 years later. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's wild. Wild. I glossed over this before, but she was also doing research on the motion of ripples in sand and water, and that eventually led her to develop the Ayrton fan, another one of her patents. This fan was used in the trenches of World War I to fan out poisonous chemical gases that were being used by the Central Powers. So there you go, Hertha, saving Allied forces' lives. Casual contribution. (laughs) Yeah, you know, just clearing out poisonous gases for the troops. In 1919, Hertha was one of the founders of the International Federation of University Women and National Union of Scientific Workers. And a year later, she started the National Union of Scientific Workers. Following in Barbara's footsteps as a founder of educational spaces. Mm. True. After being a pioneer boss electrical engineer and leader in STEM, she got bitten by an insect and died of blood poisoning on August 26, 1923, in Sussex. Oh, no! 
That is such a shocking ending. What kind of bug is it? How do we avoid it? Mm-hmm. I have so many questions. Yeah. Oh, this is terrible. It's horrible. And is it just me? But every time I hear someone getting a bug bite, I think someone's getting special powers. <laughs> this obviously no. did not work in her favor, but. We do not live in the Marvel universe. We do not. No. No, I actually don't wish we did. I'm good right here. I have no idea which bug it was. Just avoid all of them. It's okay to be safe. Mm-hmm. In 1925, her friend, Ottilie, endowed the Hertha Ayrton Research Fellowship at Girton College, which still exists today. There are several fellowships, prizes, funds, and buildings named after Hertha. In 2010, the Royal Society selected Hertha as one of the 10 most influential British women in the history of science. Yeah, that same Royal Society that didn't want to let her in, but okay. Mm. And on April 28, 2016, Google commemorated Ayrton's 162nd birthday with a Google Doodle. And that's how you know you made it when you become a doodle. Mm, Except you don't because you're not alive anymore. But we know. (laughs) We know you made it. Wow. Hertha did so much. And I'm glad to see that her contributions are being noted and remembered. Yes, that's really cool. I hope to have a Google Doodle of myself, of of us one day. It's on my life goal. I want a Google Doodle. That would be nice. All right. Now. We have reached the second half of our episode, The Karyotid. This is where we select a woman living today who is doing her thing, furthering the profession, and whose work continues to hold the profession up, just like the Karyotids, or columns shaped like women found on Greek-style buildings. Drumroll, please! Today we have two caryatids, Malena Español and Dina Katabi. Malena and Dina. Du- yes, double whammy. Well, Hertha was a woman of so many talents and careers that I wanted to honor at least two of those today. So we're going to start with the mathematician Malena Español. Malena is a mathematician originally from Argentina. She has a degree on exact sciences and natural sciences from the University of Buenos Aires and a doctorate from the University of Tuft in the Netherlands. Today, she works as a professor at the University of Arizona in the U.S. Very impressive. It's I'm also curious to know what are exact sciences. It reminds me of this whole like physical chemistry conversation that we had a few episodes back. Yeah. Wow. Very accomplished. But I totally agree. I do not know what these types of science mean at all. <laughs> yeah. Malena is a Karen Edge Fellow, which is a fellowship that supports the research of mid-career mathematicians who are members of an underrepresented group. They receive per year for three years to further their research. I was reminded of how Hertha was also supported monetarily in her research and studies. If she were born today, I bet she would have had fellowships too. Yeah. That's so great that the fellowship exists, and I'm glad that Milena gets to continue her research. Yeah, that's really cool. I also like that they're catering towards, like, mid-career women, too. Like, it. There's a whole conversation we could have about that alone. But yeah, it's that's really cool. All right. And our second carrier said 
Dina Katabi is the Andrew and Erna Viterbi Professor of Electrical Engineering and Computer Science at MIT and the director of the MIT Wireless Center. She's a MacArthur Grant Fellow, also known as the Genius Grant. Yes, I love this. We've had another MacArthur Genius Grant Fellow winner as a carry tid from another episode. So I like that we're keeping this role. Yeah, that's right. Dina has a bachelor's degree from the University of Damascus and a master's and PhD in computer science from MIT. Oh, I didn't mention this, but Dina is from Syria. Mm. Among a lot of other things and multiple awards, Dina is a director of the Computer Science and Artificial Intelligence Laboratory, and her research includes developing a wireless technology that can detect people through walls to be used by medical professionals to tell if people have fallen or need help. And this technology also aims to measure cardiac rhythm and oxygen levels wirelessly without having to put sensors in the body. Wow. That sounds like it would be really helpful, and it sounds really cool. And it reminds me of how Hertha was involved at the start of her career working on a medical device as well. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, and I mean, it's cool that they both would develop or work on this tool that would become so integral in their fields. Yeah, and I think that both Dina and Hertha seek to use their skills to develop technology that helps society, and I think that's so cool. Agreed. Yes. Before we see you in a little bit, we want to say cheers, mate, to CMYK for the music, John W., our technical producer, and thanks a million to all of you for listening. We also want to give a special shout out to the Science Museum Group Journal for all the information they shared on Hertha. Remember to check out our show notes for links to all of our resources on this episode, as well as pictures of projects that we've talked about. We hope you enjoyed learning about Hertha, Malena, and Dina, along with our banter, and that you are inspired to find out more about them and other amazing professional ladies. Again, thanks a bunch. She Builds Podcast is a member of Gable Media Podcast Network. Gable Media is curated thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. Listen and subscribe to all the shows at GableMedia.com. That's G-A-B-L Media.com. Please let us know what you thought of our episode. If you've enjoyed it, please help us spread the word. Tell your friends, your electrical engineers, your medical device inventors. Tell them all. Tell them to write us a review and give us five stars on iTunes and Spotify. This will help us reach a wider audience and for more people to learn about these amazing ladies with us. We're excited to hear from you and for you to come back and keep learning about bosses with us. You can email us your thoughts at shebuildspodcast at gmail.com. Leave us a comment on our website, shebuildspodcast.com, or follow us on Instagram and Facebook at shebuildspodcast and on Twitter at shebuildspod. See ya! Bye! Bye! Ooh, sorry. Uh... I want to say it before we forget. So we did have another listener suggestion for a theme for a new season. And it was like sass and style. That was it. That was the theme. So so Sarah would have fit perfectly, I guess. Awesome. We'll add that to our running list.
I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got yeah. anything? I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success.